costly logistical shortage problems now in 3D. <laughs> yes, this is Scott Hot with Stephen Green and Bill Whittle with Right Angle brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. And gentlemen, uh, there's a story coming to us from the Wall Street Journal about another innovation or at least a hurry up sparked by the fact that we have these massive logistical challenges and the cost of container ships having, you know, tripled or quadrupled, depending on who you're listening to over the past two years. Uh, this comes in the area of large scale production facilities like oil companies, uh, places like Chevron, who when they suffer, Stephen Green, uh, even a temporary shutdown of an operation that can cost upward of $20 million to $50 million before they get that thing back online, a, a drilling platform or refining plant or whatever. And one little part can cause that kind of a problem. Uh, if you've got to wait until the next container ship comes in or the next 18-wheeler makes it cross-country to your place, uh, this literally can cost millions of dollars. And so Chevron, among others, has decided to turn to some emerging technology that has gotten just really phenomenal uh, in recent years, and that is 3D printing. And they give all kinds of examples, but uh, literally a part can be printed in the matter of minutes to an hour or two to solve a shutdown problem and save a company 20 to $50 million. Steve, uh, the only reason I even brought this story up, it's not a political problem to be solved or anything like that, although we'll get into that later with Bill a little bit. But it's just the miraculous nature of free markets who, in many cases, Steve, it seems like they get better the worse things are. <laughs> well, first of all, it's it's for the want of a nail, right? That everything falls apart except the nail is made somewhere in Southeast Asia and it has to come over on a container ship and they're stacked a uh, hundred deep outside the port of Los Angeles and uh, and Palm, uh, what, what's the other port? Palm Beach? No. Um, well, Long anyway, Beach. Palm Beach, yeah. Long so Beach. They're, they're stacked up 100 deep. Uh, there are no trucks available to move them once you finally get the container unloaded and, and, and all the rest. And I love the ingenuity here. Um, 3D printing has been coming along for a long time. My favorite story about it is uh, the Air Force keeps getting cooler and cooler planes. Uh, the problem is they become more and more expensive to fly and maintain. And one of the things you want to do is try and drive down the uh, the cost for uh, for a flight hour of, say, an F-35. And so the Air Force has been investing in 3D printing technology to print up spares for the F-35. So you can do it right on the base. You don't have to maintain that long logistical trail of, uh, of spare parts. And it really is the future. What I'd... Uh, if I can be a real dreamer here for a moment, I'm kind of tired of this prime delivery. It started off as two-day delivery, maybe uh, some overnight if you had paid some extra money. And uh, now you get some stuff that's even same day if you're lucky enough to live close to one of those Amazon fulfillment places. But what I really like to see, and I'm not, I'm not actually kidding here. At least I'm not kidding very much. I don't expect to see this in my lifetime. I think my kids will if we don't, you know, screw up and blow up the planet, uh, planet of the Apes style. And that is 
for all the manufacturing to be done in low earth orbit and when you hit that one click button on Amazon, something happens in one of those facilities and it just whoop, shoots it right down into your front yard. And what could go wrong? <laughs> if I'm exaggerating, it's not by that much because if we can if we can save 50 million dollars uh, on an oil platform or whatever with some 3D technology, there's really no upper limit to what we can do. And when when Bill Woodle heard that suggestion, he said, of course, I still love you, Steve. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I Bill, see what you did the, there. The Australian Army is availing itself of some of this technology as well. And there's a quote in this Wall Street Journal story from a Lieutenant Colonel Dean Clark, an Army logistics manager who, who uh, is overseeing a test of this, the use of uh, 3D printed objects to be able to, to cut down on turnaround times. And he said that he has seen a 20-inch wrench printed in about 10 minutes. Uh, now, Bill, the, the, the chief obstacle to this kind of uh, radical transformation that allows uh, better than just-in-time delivery of things, I mean, it's like on-site delivery of things as you need them, um, is two things. Uh, number one is government, and number two is insurance. As it turns out, there are standards of certification in both production pieces as well as processes that are required to follow industry standards, and those standards, uh, the law has not kept up with, or at least the regulations have not yet kept up with the standards that are being developed. So that's the only hindrance to faster, wider spread use of this kind of solution. Uh, do you think that this is, uh, that the government and insurance companies are going to be the thing that essentially smothers the baby in the cradle? Uh, there are some things that are too big to be smothered in the cradle, and, and this this kind of thing is a is a world changing technology, and I don't think that that anything's going to stop it. Uh, right now, three uh, D printing is kind of a concierge way to get a product. Right, you may take you may be able to print a wrench in in ten minutes, but you can't make. 10,000 wrenches that way. You know, the way you make wrenches is you have injection molds and you inject steel or plastic or whatever. That's how you mass produce things. Mass production in, in terms of 3D printing doesn't make sense and won't make sense for the foreseeable future. So it really is kind of a, uh, a specialty thing. As you mentioned it, as Steve mentioned, you need the specific part for the specific airplane. Print that, great, but you don't have to make, you know, 100,000 of them. Uh, you just You just kind of use them to plug in what you need. I think the real benefit of 3D printing is is what it allows you to make that you can't make now. Just make things from scratch. You know, if I had a, a decent 3D printer, I could finally finish my own turbo encabulator. You know, I mean that that's the thing. I, look, I've already got I've already got the digital version of the ambifacient lunar vein shaft. But the problem is I can't find any pre-famulated amulite so that I can't make the ambifacient lunar vein shaft because I still have to get rid of the side fumbling. Uh, but in any event, uh, the ability to make things that aren't that don't exist now that are that are either just for fun or, or whatever is allowing us to do things. And, and the one thing I think is really interesting here in terms of the timing, Scott, is let's just say for the sake of the argument, I had a digital version of an AR-15 lower assembly, right? 
I've got the digital version of it. It is essentially a series of points in space that get transmitted to this 3D printer. The 3D printer reproduces those points in space out of a solid plastic, and now I have a, 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 a printed weapon. Digital ownership is a very difficult thing. And, and if, I, if I had that copy of somebody who goes to the trouble to make that uh, AR-15 lower, and I get a copy of it, I can make thousands of these things and spread them out on the internet. And, and so you, you lose the financial incentive because the property is so hard to copyright. Well, by happy coincidence, all uh, here we are in the world of suddenly emerging NFTs, non-fungible uh, mm. tokens which using blockchain technology allows ownership of digital ideas. So, so with the NFT, I could come up with a better design, let's say, for a design, a better mousetrap, right? And, and then I make it available for everybody to print. But now I can actually protect the, I can protect the form of the machine that then gets printed but now that I can protect and copyright and monetize the design, the, the actual digital design, then 3D printing allows us to have a whole new economy that we haven't seen anything like yet. We're still way behind in terms of speed. Speeds are still very, very slow. And on some level, they're always going to be slow because you're dealing with matter. In, in electronics, the speed of light is your limitation and in, 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 with this, there's always going to be some amount of time necessary to actually construct with it. I'll just close by saying this. The most impressive 3D printing I've seen and the most hopeful is the 3D printing of organs. Uh, the 3D printing of, of, of the shells of organs. You, I, I have seen people then take these shells, you put stem cells into it, and it becomes a heart and it starts beating. Uh, there's no... Uh, there's no organ rejection issues because you're printing them out of your own your own proteins. It's, it's your body making this stuff. Uh, the ability to print organs uh, and coupled with this thing we just saw with the mouse where they've got this gel that'll bridge the gap between nerve synapses and allow uh, uh, mice that have been um, that are that are in, in, incapacitated, they're they're paraplegic. And then suddenly they're not. So yeah, it's all a brave new world and and it's hard for me to see a downside in the printing uh, technology compared to some of these other things. Hey, uh, Bill, can I uh, just a uh, quick follow up, please, Scott, if you don't mind? You said a 3D printed heart, but you meant liver, right? No, I've seen a 3D printed heart. <laughs> I think he's just he's focusing on personal need. We're not, we're not, we don't have to so much reprint a new liver for you, Steve. We just have to imprint a, a, a solid steel case to wrap your liver in. Because the EPA is still looking for a safe place to bury Steve's liver. Yeah, they looked at Yucca Mountain and Nevada just threw up its hands. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because Bill is right. Uh, you don't, uh, th this technology isn't yet at the point uh, where mass production would be possible, you know, on a large scale, making 100,000 widgets. But I was thinking about that as he was saying, and I was thinking, well, you know, Widgets Incorporated needs to make 100,000 widgets, but the guy in the shop who needs a single part doesn't. Uh, he also doesn't need to have a, a, a plastic drawer somewhere that has 50 of them in it. And the reason why Widgets Incorporated has to print uh, or has to produce 100,000 of these widgets is because everybody wants to have a drawer with 50 in it just in case one goes bad, you've got it on hand. But if you didn't need to have any inventory uh, of your own because you could instantly make one within a short matter of time, 
then maybe we don't even need to mass produce them, or at least the demand for them for specific uses goes way down. The kind of people who would stockpile them may find it more economically feasible not to stockpile them. And as Bill pointed out, we're not just talking like most, if you watch uh, any of the social media platforms, you'll see people showing off their uh, 3D printing operations that they started in their garage with one 3D printer. And now you go in there and there are like 50 3D printers all running at once. And, and, you know, I saw one guy who was like producing a little caddy in which you could hold your double A batteries, (laughs) you know, and I was, and I thought at the time, I thought, Ooh, that's really cool. I want one of those. And uh, so, you know, we think of it that way. It's mostly plastic stuff, but it's not just plastic stuff. I mean, it's, things that are being made out of concrete, 3D printed houses, there is 3D printed stainless steel stuff. And now uh, we're seeing 3D printed human organs, human tissue being able to be 3D printed. And and there'll be more as time goes forward. Uh, You know, the only reason I brought up this story is because I think that there are so many negative stories about the impact of so-called free market capitalism um, and that people are kind of always bashing these greedy bigwigs who somehow always, you know, they just want to sit there with their top hats on a pile of gold coins and laugh with glee as they toss the coins in the air. But there is a constant impetus for innovation and creativity that solves real world problems that helps people get paid and have better lives and enables the miraculous medical infrastructure that we've established, no matter what you think of the process of the insurance or how much it costs. But People are alive today who would have been dead 10 years ago because of the just phenomenal development that has happened as a result of people having ownership of their patents, as a result of people uh, having the ability to have private property and to uh, be able to exercise the, the ability to raise money to be able to get around a project and get it up and going. And it is just so sweet to see a crisis of, uh, of these proportions, a global crisis of shipping, and in one little niche after another, we're starting to see innovators and entrepreneurs and saying, you know what, I, we've always done it that way, but I wonder what would happen if we printed a new solution. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible. 